Good Sunday evening, y'all. We're very grateful that you chose to end your Sunday here with us. And the Water Break team works very hard every week to bring to you what we think is the most important things you need to consider as you head out into the week. We have the whole Water Break team with us today. Pretty exciting. Like your favorite action characters. Maybe, maybe. So, so grab your favorite scotch or Dr. Pepper with the fam and, and let's go. First, uh, this show is brought to you by Story Real Estate. Home is where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, seeds are shared, and stories are told. Home is where you prepare to go out into the world. Finding the home that is perfect for your family is a big job. Story Real Estate is Moscow's top real estate team. They provide people, uh, you know, they, they give people real estate advice all over the country. So all over the country. So if you're in Texas, California, Florida, wherever. Family homes, investments, land, new construction or commercial, they know real estate. If you've thought about a move to Moscow or anywhere in the country, reach out to get connected with Story Real Estate. Uh, wherever you're going, they can help you, guide you home. Visit storyrealestate.com. So uh, cannonball or belly flop, it is no secret. It is no secret that we are heading into a recession of some sort. Interest rates are high and increasing every month. Currently, the CPI index, if you believe this, is is 8.6. I think that is very low, almost twice as low as it should be. It's, it's more like, I believe, 15 to 20%. Gas prices are through the roof. And Federal Reserve predicts nearly 1.5 million job losses by the end of next year. And we still have 2.5 years left of the Biden administration. It's hard to imagine. What is happening is that we are entering into COVID 3.0. And by this, I mean that the COVID economy that has resulted from the current, you know, the original shutdown that happened in 2020 and 2021, the Democratic Republican stimulus money that has spurred the massive inflation we're experiencing, and combine that with the Biden woke, you know, climate economy, you know, the kind of econ economic policies that favor rigging the economy towards ESG scores. And electric cars. It's all insanity. Now it looks like there's going to be a massive red wave in November, but I don't think you should find comfort in that. On this show, I and, and the team, we've been advocating for a faithful conservatism as opposed to the George Bush compassionate conservatism that has influenced the Republican Party over the last 20 years. Compassionate conservatism has given us compromise, you know, spineless Republicans in leadership, and a party that is being chased by a minority in this country. You know, the LGBT crowd is chasing the conservatives, and conservatives are far uh, out, uh, outpaced, far, are far greater group than the LGBT community. Compassionate conservatism was built on the polytheistic gods of our times. The idea that the public square is a neutral place where both Democrats and Republicans can meet to negotiate for a better America, and really not on the lordship of Christ. This is because our conservative leaders, our conservative leadership, I think, have been scared to say that God's law applies to both Democrats and Republicans, that God's law applies to atheists, Mormons, Jews, Muslims, and so forth, that God's word is the foundation of all coherent logic, you know, rational laws, and a moral and prospering, prospering America. This basic confession is absent from the Republican Party because they have cared more about getting voted into office. They've cared more about the praise of man than the blessing of God. 
you know, there's nothing that sinners can't, uh, you know, make worse, okay? But by the grace of God, a people can repent, a people can obey, a people can experience true reformation and revival. And when that happens in your church, your church will experience it. And that that reformation revival happens in your family, your family will experience it. And that tidal wave of the Holy Spirit in your land will change everyone in every institution, including your mayoral's office. We don't want any form of conservatism apart from Christ. That That's a conservatism that will get you to hell apart from Christ. So, a, so as Christians, we need to see things accurately, which means both Democrats and Republicans have gifted us this recession. We also should not respond with the spirit of fear. God is in control. And instead of sitting at home, we need to build in faith, you know, sword and shovel style. Work harder, innovate, start a business. Work hard to find like-minded Christians and build community with them. Do business, start Christian schools with them. During this recession, do not bury your talent in your backyard. Do your best by the grace of God to make this recession one of the most fruitful seasons in your life, in your family's life, in your church life, and so forth. Uh, with that in mind, I want to bring in uh, Rhett Burns. I don't know if Rod Martin's in the room either, but I want to bring Rhett Burns, uh, teammate Rhett Burns and Rod in the room because this past week, as you guys know, was the Southern Baptist Convention. And the Southern Baptist Convention, I think at, every, at, at this point, everyone knows that Tom Askell and Vody Bauckham did not win their various races. And so, uh, Rod, I believe you were on the ground at the Southern Baptist Convention. Is that correct? To say the least. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. So how did, what was your take on how did Vody and Tom lose their prospective races? What was going on the ground there? Bottom line was geography, and I, I hate it, but the reality is it cost a absolute fortune for most Southern Baptists to go to Anaheim, California in the inflationary economy you just described. And when we have higher turnout, we do better. When we have lower turnout, we do worse. The other team is highly dependent on a large cadre of denominational employees uh, church planters that are funded mm. entirely out of the North American Mission Board, including, you know, their way funded to the convention, as is true for the other denominational employees. And a lot of people who wish they were in one of those two categories, those guys are never going to vote against the platform. And ironically, if we controlled the platform, they probably wouldn't vote against us either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're if you're far, far away, it, it turns out we weren't able to turn out about the thousand more votes or so that we needed. And and so, you know, that default selection wins. I wouldn't read too much into it because next year is in New Orleans. I think that's going to be very fertile ground for what we want yeah. to do. It's in driving distance. But I will say this. Mm -hmm. It has become more urgent. What you saw in New Orleans was a Southern Baptist Credentials Committee that cannot even define the word pastor anymore. Yeah, I know. And they I know. did it in the context, of course, of Saddleback, where Rick Warren actually just ordained a man and his wife as his successors, mm -hmm. as senior pastor. If they can't figure out that the Baptist faith and message, not to mention First Timothy 2 and 3, says mm -hmm. you can't have a female teaching pastor at a Southern Baptist church and be in any kind of compliance with yeah. the Baptist faith and message, then why are they even there? So we're actually back to where we were in the 80s 
at the top level of the convention, we're actually fighting over, is the Bible true? And do we care? And, and yeah. so, so you know, if it's going to be about women pastors, I think everything's going to change a lot uh, mm-hmm. in the years to come. We're either for the worse or wow. people are going to get out of the pews and come and change it as they did before. Rhett, how, how in the world is the SBC going through the exercise of trying to define what a pastor is? I mean, that, when I heard that, to me, that was the most egregious thing that came out of the SBC this last week. Sure. So I, w- I wasn't on the ground at the convention, unfortunately, but I was watching and I was I was really surprised when I saw the credentials committee come out uh, with that as if they were um, trying to unilaterally rewrite our uh our baptist faith and message to to read lead pastor rather than uh what the bible uh uses as pastor and so uh on one on the one hand i was surprised at that on the other hand well what does the bible say you reap what you sow and we have sown uh, a few decades of of pragmatism uh in our convention sadly and that is part of what of what we get in return and so um when I when, when I see just how we are we're driven by that pragmatism or driven by emotionalism in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, that's that's the result. But so, I want to add to that. Please, please, it Rod. It starts out as a methodological pragmatism, and it's very hard to argue with a lot of that. You know, I might not like a particular thing, but you know, okay, if that works for some people over here, fine. You know, is the attitude I think of most people, but it slides very quickly into relationships over truth. You know, I yeah. went to seminary with that guy. I didn't actually go to seminary with anybody. I, I'm a lawyer by training, but you know, these right. guys, they all went to seminary together or, you know, they're in the same clique and so forth. And after a while, if they start moving in the direction of critical race theory or radical feminism or queer theory or whatever new thing comes down the pike, they have lost any sense of mooring to the book. They all mouth the words, but really it's just, who am I with? And if I'm with the guy who's with that, then that's the right thing to do. That's the slippery slope of pragmatism. It's not that nothing can ever be practical, but pragmatic and practical are not identical. That's right. And and so what do we do at this point? I mean, do we just next year elect Rick Warren as the as the president of the SBC and, and Beth Moore as the over the pastors? Well he says he won't be there and of course Beth has left the convention. No, no, we turn out more people. That's really the bottom line. Guys, I can't stress it enough. We have six seminaries that educate one third of the seminary students on this continent. Southern Baptists are only eleven percent. Thirty three percent is obviously a lot higher. We are essential to evangelicaldom, we have a duty, we have a duty as Southern Baptists to steward that carefully. We have to make sure it's theologically sound. We have to turn out messengers. We can, I believe we will. And I think this year was the wake up call a lot of people needed to get in their car and go to New Orleans. Yeah. So, uh, Rhett, you're, you're a new, you actually are a pastor in the SBC. You're taking over a church, uh, um, close by in your region. Um, how do you view what happened and how do you view your role as a pastor within the SBC moving forward? Well, I mean, um, 
I'm, I'm with Rod there as far as I don't think it's time to give up on the SBC. I think there's there's too much value there, both in institutional power and resources. And I like cooperating for mission. And so and I'm willing to cooperate very broadly for um, mission to get the gospel out to our neighbors here in North America and to the nations. And so uh, I like and want to partner with the SBC at the same time when uh, there is this growing divide between uh, what Rod mentioned as the platform and, and the pew. There is this there's a breakdown in trust. You know, how are we using these resources? Um, how are we stewarding that responsibility with our seminaries and the massive mm -hmm. amount of people that we educate through our seminaries? And so there is there are a lot of questions um, because if I'm you know, I'm pastoring people and they are faithfully giving generously mm -hmm. to uh, this convention that they have faithfully given to for decades and decades. We want to make sure that that's used well, that's used rightly, that those uh, those resources are going to get the message of the gospel out. And so I, I do have a, a, a staked interest in um, going to New Orleans and being a part of the reform works within the SBC. Well, and I would add, there's an enormous opportunity, Gabe. There absolutely yeah. is, because we have a system in which if you show up with a majority at the annual meeting, you can change the direction. And, yeah. okay, we didn't quite get there this year. We were about a 1,000 shy of what we needed. Okay, yeah. fine. Anytime you show up with a majority, you can elect a president that starts that process of change. And... Mm. Most denominations don't work that way. Most institutions, period, don't work that way. You're not going to be yeah. able to do that at Harvard or Princeton or Yale. That's right. Or Baylor, for that matter. At the SBC, it could go completely to hell in a handbasket, and you could still show up and turn it around. That's, that's right. unique, and that's special. And by the way, that's been done before. Yeah. That's that's a good word, Rod and Rhett. Uh, thank you guys for your time. Really appreciate you guys joining the team. Absolutely. Thank you. This past week, not only was the SBC convention going on, but the January 6th hearings um, are being public publicized uh, um, uh, on live television. But why are they still going on? And why all of a sudden are they going live on public television? Um, it seems to me, um, I'd like to bring Joseph back home into this. It seems to me that it's just political theater. Uh, the only play that the Democrats can run right now is this January 6th play where they're trying to tarnish and tar the Republican brand as some sort of insurrectionist brand. Uh, I'd like to bring in teammate uh, Joseph Backholm here to, to talk through the, the what are what's the political nature going on with the January 6th hearings. Uh, Joseph, what is your take? Yeah, Gabe, good to see you. And I, I think you are largely correct about what we're seeing in dc in the last week with specifically with the january 6th commission things are not going well for the administration uh and of course we're heading into election year um, whether it's inflation it's the state of the economy it's immigration it's still you know challenging international affairs the public is just not very excited and they're trying to create a shiny object that will distract the voters right. from the things that are giving them heartburn. And I think it really is kind of an attempt to say, yeah, well, we may be doing uh, poorly, but there's so much worse. I think there is some of that 
in yeah. this. Yeah. However, it, I don't get any indication that people are paying attention to this. I mean, Washington, D.C. is a bubble. Uh, it's a beltway. They have a, a, an ecosystem that the rest of America does not understand. It is a big deal for people inside the beltway right now who are very excited about this, really think they're doing something historic and monumental in kind yeah. of what they see as exposing things. I don't think the rest of the country is paying attention, so I don't think it's going to move the needle. But I think that's really what we're dealing with. So so it, it seems to me that um, uh, you got the January 6th hearings that are trying to capitalize off the uh, I, the the dust up of the riot. I might get fined for that in the NFL if I put it that way. Um, and at the same time, uh, you have um, the Planned Parenthood, the uh, uh, what do you call them, crisis pregnancy centers being attacked. You have Kavanaugh, the assassination attempt of Kavanaugh. Uh, so you have all this violence going around while the and and driven by the left, while they're trying to peg the Republican brand as the insurrectionist brand. And that does make these hearings a bit ironic, I think, Gabe, uh, because just on Friday, finally, the Justice Department said they were going to investigate all of these attacks and then the threats of more attacks against pro-life pregnancy centers since uh, I think it was May 3rd when the when the leak of the draft opinion in the Dobbs case uh, was leaked. There have been over 50 documented cases of either vandalism or arson, some kind of assault against um, churches, pro-life pregnancy centers, uh, entities that were were identified as pro-life by people. um, Well, presumably, we don't know in every case, but it was pro-life organizations being targeted, presumably, by the abortion industry. We also know that uh, Justice Kavanaugh was the target of an attempted assassination, though nobody actually fired a shot. There was somebody said who they right. were there to uh, try to kill him, right? So the backdrop of this attempt to paint the right wing as extremists and insurrectionists and you know anti-democratic right underneath the surface uh, parallel to this is this That's rise right. in... Uh, very legitimate left-wing extremism, the game, the the group called Jane's Revenge, you could legitimately refer to them as a terrorist organization. They've just kind of published a, another recent That's manifesto. Right. They've claimed, taken credit for more than a dozen attacks on some of these uh, places and basically said it is now, quote, open season on these Ooh. pro-life organizations. And they okay. basically encouraged everyone else to do the same, right? So it's been building for weeks. It took... Um, more than a month of these attacks for the Justice Department to finally say, oh, I guess we should look into some of these things, right? Yeah. So that's the context in which this attempt to paint the the, the, the right wing as extremists uh, is happening in, in which. And, and then the point here, of course, is there are right wing extremists. There are left wing extremists. It's just pretty funny for Congress to um, be so hyper focused on one when the other is very clearly the more immediate threat. So what's your what's your take on Liz Cheney and all this? You know, she's involved in the January 6th hearing. She's one of the, uh, I think, the only Republican at this point. I think there's another one, but I think she's at, or at least the predominant Republican involved in these uh, January 6th hearings. What is what is her play? I mean, she's going to lose her base in Wyoming. Yeah, she probably is. It looks like, and, and it appears that she may not care. And on some level, I actually have some respect for that. Um, you know, yeah. I, I like it when I see politicians um, who are doing things that are not necessarily in their political best interest. Now, yeah. I am not as exercised over January 6th as she appears to be. And I think yeah. Trump really got in a lot of people's heads 
And so it, it becomes personal for them. Um, yeah. and, and so it's like, I'm going to oppose Trump and his people and all of those things as a matter of conviction. Uh, and in this case, I think you're right. It probably will cost her her political future in uh, in um, Wyoming, though, uh, presumably MSNBC or somebody will hire her to, you know, be a pundit yeah. or something. And, yeah. and she yeah. won't lose anything in, in, in bank CNN. account, to be sure. Yes. Somebody maybe, will pick her maybe, up, right? Maybe they CNN love that plus. story. Right. Well, uh, yeah, CNN Plus, I, I wonder if they're still making offers, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm not worried about her future necessarily. But, yeah, she clearly has convictions about who the good guys and the bad guys are in this situation. And she ha- seemingly has been has been willing to um, partner with the Democrats, in, in at least in these hearings. So, you know, it is what it is. I heard one one. This is a rumor. I heard one rumor that she might be moving to New York in one of the districts where she'd be likely to win. Um, where it's kind of a blue, reddish, purple yeah. district and everything, but that's just a just a rumor. Plausible. I mean, you know, that yeah. stuff happens in high level politics these days. But yeah. who knows? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Very what good, Joseph. Back home. Thank you for joining the Water Break team, man. Have a good, good week. With the game. Good. Have a great week. With the debate happening, the Supreme Court. Uh, the word on the street, the rumor was that the Supreme Court was possibly going to release. Uh, the SCOTUS hearing on on the Dobbs case on Wednesday. And that didn't happen. And so uh, as of the filming of of this show, it still hasn't happened. But with the coming Supreme Court decision, if they do undo Roe, Roe, um, and of course that's a positive good, but what we really need to recover is what is a person uh, Jacob Daniel, who's who's a newer member to the to the team here, uh, he's been actually doing a lot of work on this, speaking at conferences and so forth on this. And uh, Jacob, what what what's your take? If if Roe v. Wade gets undone, to me, we really need to recover. Uh, that's good. I'm glad that's happening, but we really need to cover what is a person. Yeah. Um, well, good to be back here again, uh, Gabe. Uh, I think, in my opinion, there are few questions that are more important than this one. Uh, okay. particularly when it comes to the whole question of situating intrinsic human dignity, human flourishing. Uh, now, this topic has been in uh, human inquiry for a long time here in the Western world, right? It's not something new that has come about. Uh, however, uh, in our contemporary debate, I think the various estimation of what a human person, um, it, it concerns not just with the beginning of life anymore or end of life issues, but everything in between. So yeah. it has become ubiquitous. I mean, it's informing I always say that it is actually crossing uh, the philosophical and theological silos and actually trying to um, be raised as an issue in other domains as well. It has to prove its legitimacy. It, it's an important question. I think these estimations that we are coming up with from a secularist standpoint um, are mostly responsible for changing tides in our culture and are playing a major role in recalibrating our public behavior and moral behavior. Uh, what I'm seeing is that uh, if we won't answer this question well, well uh, we will end up uh, doing even more damage, not just in one sphere, but in all spheres of life. And what we are seeing yeah. is a growing disenchantment of what it means to be a person, um, a kind of disillusionment with our own race. Um, right. Having said that, I think we need to be careful as well. Uh, as as believers, we, uh, we hold this that we actually represent a... a, a, a a kind of uh, divine, uh, uh, um, you know, the idea that we all are created in the image of God. And right. if we are representing an in, 
a God who cannot be described fully, and we should be careful as to how we describe human person as well. Uh, definitions yeah. are a way of generalizing, whereby we try to gather uh, the properties that are common about a thing that needs to be defined. Um, but definitions are limited in covering what is unique and irreplaceable. And persons are unique, and they are not objects. Uh, and that is why they're good at resisting explanation. Uh, so we need to be really careful. It's not an empty idea. It's a, it's a very rich idea and yeah. cannot be just limited within a precise definition. Um, so we have to come to terms in terms of knowing what constitutes a personhood. Uh, and I think there is no other worldview that offers uh, the credible foundation that is necessary, that has not just impacted um, individual lives, but also nations. Yes. If you look at the very Western civilization, it is built on that very idea. Thanks to Reformation, uh, you know, uh, it has even informed nations, including uh, the nation that we are in, uh, that we all are created equal and endowed with inalienable rights. How does that come about? You know, um, but right. there is a radical shift that happened, epistemic shift that has happened uh, through enlightenment that I see is that uh, the shift from uh, seeing personhood as foundation, it was given, right? And right. we have moved from there to foundations of personhood. And we have come up with various estimation to explain what that is by keeping God aside and uh, basically abandoning this rich idea that the scripture That's offers right. us, that we all are created equal. So, you know, we have the SBC trying to define what is a pastor. You know, we have um, the uh, uh, January 6 hearings. We have uh, the SB, the the coming SCOTUS decision that that's basically trying to define or not define. They might even punt that to the states. You know what is what is life? When does life begin? Why is what is a person? Why are we debating this? This seems so uh, uh, you know so basic. Why are we debating what is a person in our culture right now? Uh, there could be two things. One is that we are taking a reductive, uh, even within the church, a lot of people fall to this position of reductive materialistic conception, right? Uh, uh -huh. The idea is that we have to somehow explain everything uh, materially. There is that tension, especially in the academic world. We want to measure things and you can't measure a human soul. You can't measure. So basically, this is an attack on God's anthropology. Now, the thing is that are we starting with human anthropology as to understanding who we are or we're trying to understand from God's perspective? But right. I want to touch on something very important. I think it's, it's a clash of worldviews as well. Uh, this idea uh, of uh, removing distinctions, it is the idea of oneism, right? We, uh, and it's a dangerous idea. So what happens is that we, when we see the whole of reality as one, we have aversion to any kind of distinction. And that comes even within the uh, uh, role of a male and a female as well. And we want to dilute that completely or make it so uh, vague that there is no distinction left. And right. that's something uh, I think the church has capitulated to that, sadly. Mm -hmm. and, and, that's, and one more thing I would say is that it's also because we don't really understand um, that when we talk about personhood, it is fulfilled in relationality. Relationality is uh, the, the, the criteria on the basis of which we explain and act out our personhood. And that needs to be maintained. It's a biblical idea because of the nature of God. We yes. don't situate the idea of personhood on individuals. One of the questions they should be asking is that when we talk about in our uh, contemporary debates about 
conferring dignity? What gives us the criteria to do that? Who That's are right. we to actually give uh, the other uh, individuals, humans or non-humans, the, the, the privilege of being a person? Uh, so right. I think we need to bring it back to the tr Trinitarian grid, which is fulfilled in the aspect of relationality. And I would also point out this, that when God created Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. For right. the fact that Adam did have relationship with God, but Adam's personhood got, gets actualized when he really recognizes the other uh, the, and gets recognized by Eve as well. So, so this that idea of has to be maintained. Yeah, and this idea of oneism it seems like it's kind of based off the evolutionary framework where we're just all kind of rolled out from this one ball of goo, this one explosion, you know. Um, and it seems to me with that with that idea of oneism, you you only the only distinctions that you can uh, hold your hat on or grab onto are distinctions, let's say, related to task or what you're doing. Um, you know, so a husband and wife out of this oneism, you're just from, from this one ball of goo. The only differences in you are, well, you know, you are a good engineer and you're a good baker. And, you know, it, to me, to me, it, it, the distinctions aren't driven by God and his creation. Distinctions are only driven by like task and what you do, which exactly. makes everything up, uh, up for definitions. Exactly. It comes down to that idea of functionalism, right? And someone mentioned about the whole idea of utilitarianism, where even with the, the idea of personhood, we have started to apply that. It's a project to desoul the humans, you know, uh, the, uh, to dismiss the embodied nature of... Desoul. That's good. Yes. The embodied nature of us being body and soul. Um, so the tension is basically in the secular world to reduce everything to the physical, to the biological substrata. That's why everything has to be informed or uh, explained in terms of brain state. So conscious okay. phenomena becomes concrete, non-abstract, existing within the uh, you know, brain. But now there's a shift happening in culture. And as Christians, we need to be aware of this, that we are somehow moving from mapping out, uh, you know, that was a huge thing uh, a while ago, mapping out the genome. Now mm. we are mapping out the neurocircuitry, right? genocentrism yeah. to neurocentrism that shift is happening and i think we need to be aware of what what consequences that will bring about not lose our hope in that in the sense yeah. that we have to then argue we have an opportunity to step in and provide a biblical framework to situate um uh, not just our physical being but also that we are also a spiritual being that informs all of our life jacob daniel Thank you for joining the Water Break team, man. Appreciate Thank it. It's you. good to have people that are smarter than me on the team. Thank you, Jacob. It's a, it's a joy. Thank you. Well, uh, John Branion didn't make it. There's no news that you can trust this week. So thank you for joining the Water Break. Until next Sunday, go fight, laugh, and feast. This is the Water Boy. Armored Republic exists to honor Christ the King by providing tools of liberty to free men. New York State just banned body armor. Armored Republic is suing the state of New York in federal court to resist their arrogant war against your God-given rights. Mass shootings are tragic acts of evil that are best resisted by armed citizens and brave watchmen ready to fight back. The main violent threat to human life is not individual criminals, it's tyranny. 
In the 20th century alone, governments killed 169 million of their own unarmed citizens. Unarmed citizens are the stuff of dreams to tyrants and criminals. The Second Amendment is an acknowledgement of your God-given right to own a rifle and body armor. The 14th Amendment acknowledges the duty of the federal government to stop tyrant states from stealing your God-given rights. Legislators of New York, you are oath breakers. You proudly steal the rights of your people and oppress them without a second thought. Your law is null and void. It's unconstitutional. It is an offense against God. And there is no king but Christ. This is Armored Republic.